This is the Indie Drills Podcast, and I'm your host, Chad Wilson. I'm also the owner of All Eyes DB Camp and author of 101 DB Tips. In this podcast, we're going to be talking about any and everything having to do with defensive back play. From technique to current events, we'll cover it all just like the guys in the back half blanket the wide receivers. I have over 20 years playing and coaching and training in this game, and I'm ready to use all of that experience to bring you the best experience in the Indie Drills podcast. So let's go. Listeners, if you haven't had a chance to do it yet, pick up your copy of the 101 DB Tips ebook. It's the ultimate reference guide for defensive back play. If you're a player, a coach, or a trainer of defensive backs, then this is something you absolutely have to have in your library. I discuss everything in this book from playing man-to-man coverage, to zone coverage, to how to train, to how to improve your footwork, your eye discipline, and body control. Literally everything pertaining to defensive back is covered in this book. Over 20 years of playing, coaching, and training defensive backs has gone into the making of this ebook, and I'm proud to say that it has helped players and coaches from the little leagues all the way to the college level. Make a point to check this book out now. If you're serious about being the best at what you do, make that purchase. You can find the book by going to 101dbtips.com. That's 101dbtips.com. It's the Indie Drills Podcast. It's the second episode of the Indie Drills Podcast. And I just want to say right now, I totally appreciate all of you that dropped in on that first episode. It went a whole lot better than I thought it would. A lot, a lot of, a lot, a lot of people listened to that first episode. So um, I really, really appreciate that. I hope all of you are back and then some because I think we're talking about some good stuff here. What am I getting into? The main topic here today is how do I cover that route? That's just the topic. Just a little teaser there. We're going to get into that later on into the show. But first of all, we're going to jump into some other things here. First of all, the all of the, the Indie Drills podcast, I almost said All Eyes DB Camp, but the Indie Drills podcast is sponsored by 101 DB Tips. It's my ebook that I released last year. Um, I can't say enough about it. The feedback has been great. I'm sure you guys heard the promo right before this, so I don't want to go on and on about it, but the feedback has been great. College coaches, high school coaches, high school DBs, college DBs, got the book into the hands of some pro guys. Everyone seems to love it, so I think I've got a good thing here. It's a great investment for you and a good thing for you to have as a reference guide, whether you're a player, coach, trainer, etc., etc., but let's get into some things here. Hey, you know, I always try and have a current topic when I lead off on the Indie Drills podcast. And the current topic is about a running back, but it's going to relate to defensive backs. I don't know if you guys, you know, you had to be following if you care about football at all in any way, shape, or form, whether you're a fan or a player or, you know, someone intimately connected with the game of football. You had to see what happened in Minnesota with Dalvin Cook being released by the Minnesota Vikings. Dalvin Cook is a top running back in this league. And I am just, you know, as a former running back, someone who really came into the game because of running backs, that's what drew me to the game of football. You know, I'm obviously, in a, you know, I'm, a, I'm an older guy. But uh, to watch what's happening with running backs in this league is just amazing to me. They're so 
devalued. They're so undervalued. They seem to expire quickly within the franchises. They just aren't getting paid. They take the most hits in this game, and it's just really, really tough to watch that happening. But you know what? I'm not going to be the old stubborn guy. I realize the game of football is changing. Maybe not as much as people think. You still got to be able to run the football and stop the run. But the value of that running back position has certainly, I would I would even use the word plummeted over the years. Um, there's just, they just don't have that marquee running back anymore. At least it's not something that's highly valued by teams. They'd rather split the carries amongst a couple of players. They don't need a guy that's back there rushing for 15, 17, 1900 yards. I think Eric Dickerson's single season rushing record is as safe now as it's ever been. And it's been held since 1984 but just watching the way things have been going with the running back position I don't know that it's going to be anytime soon before anyone takes that down and by the way Eric Dickerson was a guy I idolized growing up that's who I thought I was going to be and so that leads into you know why this current topic on the Indie Drills podcast when I'm talking about a running back but um, like I said, the running back position is what brought me into the game of football. Just watching guys run with the football, dodge people, outrun people, score touchdowns um, was was exciting to me to watch that as a youngster. Uh, I was a Los Angeles Rams fan from the beginning. I have no idea. Maybe it was the colors, whatever. And the running back at the time was a guy by the name of Wendell Tyler. If you're as old as me or older, I'm 51 years old, then you know you, you might be familiar with that guy. He went on to play for the San Francisco 49ers, got a Super Bowl ring, etc., etc. Remaining a Rams fan, when Wendell Tyler left a few years later, along came someone that uh, I would regard as one of the best to ever play this game, and that was Eric Dickerson. And again, he has a single-season rushing record. He has the still holds a rookie rushing record and was well on his way to breaking records. I don't want to get into a history of Eric Dickerson. And so that's kind of what football was back then. You had to have a marquee back. You had you had a Tony Dorsett. You had Eric Dickerson. You had Emmett Smith, Barry Sanders. And we can go on and on with all the names. And your game, your, your offense kind of ran through that guy. And then, you know, your quarterback would make some big plays down the field when the defense was, you know, hurting their way in there and piling up around the line of scrimmage to stop your marquee back. That's not what it is anymore. And so I turned to this. I thought I was going to be Eric Dickerson. I thought I that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to go on to high school, go on to college, be a running back, go to the NFL someday as a running back. Well, I played college football at 5'11", 178 pounds. So thankfully, I was encouraged in high school and eventually listened to people who said, I need to go play defensive back. You are a defensive back. Didn't want to hear it because growing up, their defensive backs just didn't really have any style. They were, you know, no one really talked much about them. Again, I was a Los Angeles Rams fan, so their big defensive back was a guy by the name of Leroy Irvin. He wore 47. He didn't really have much swag. He made plays, though. He'd return punts for touchdowns. He'd get interceptions. Leroy Irvin, if you look him up, was a pretty damn good cornerback in the NFL. Just you wouldn't know about it because no one really talked about defensive backs like that back in that era. I mean, you know, you had Ronnie Lott, you had a few standout guys, but certainly they didn't talk about them as much as they talked about running backs and I wanted to score touchdowns I wanted the notoriety and attention that came with it and all the female attention from being the running back that scored touchdowns and yes I did that in high school I was a running back in high school but I also played defensive back and turned out 
that I was played really well at defensive back despite having a limited knowledge of the position. I was just out there on athleticism. You know, I would go cock myself to the side, cut a wide receiver off at the line of scrimmage uh, when I was playing man-to-man and just turn it into a track meet. And, you know, if, if you were somehow faster than me, you got to the football and that didn't happen very much or even at all. So I was, quote-unquote, a lockdown corner without... First of all, that wasn't even a thing, a term that was used back then, but without a ton of technique. All of that stuff would come later, and maybe in you know future shows I will explain my you know cornerback, defensive back history and, and all those good things. But nevertheless, thank God to you know a friend of mine that started insisting it uh, that I play that in my early years didn't listen to him he's you know passed away now but he was the first one to kind of plant that seed uh and then I got you know I played the position out of necessity in high school and then I was recruited as a defensive back and so I say this to uh guys out there hey running backs you guys pay attention to what happened to Dalvin Cook you pay attention to what happened to other guys you know like in Zeke Elliott even though Zeke you know kind of you know, did his way in over there, but just take a look at what's happening with that running back position. And if you're a guy that is playing running back, you're doing well at the youth and high school level, but you have some DB skills. I mean, you've got some quick feet, you've got change of direction, which you probably do have as a running back. You might want to come over here to this dark side and start playing defensive back, whether you're a little bigger and you want to play safety or you're, you know, a little more of a quicker speed, speedy guy, and you want to play cornerback, there's a place for you on this side of the ball, man. That NFL stuff is short and sweet for you at running back. Three, four years, man, and they're trying to throw you in the trash. As a DB, if you if you can if you can get it all together and you can play top level, man, you're talking about a 10-year career. I don't know how many running backs are getting 10-year careers, at least not 10-year careers where they're getting paid. So to all my running backs that may have slipped onto this podcast somehow, come on over to the dark side, baby. It's looking real bad for y'all over there. So just wanted to get that part out. Come on over, running backs. Come play some defense. Play defense. I have those t-shirts out, by the way. I never miss a moment to plug something here. But uh, play defense t-shirts. I have them on the All Eyes DB Camp Shop website. You can check those out there all right uh as always each week i take a question and um you know last week i thought it was a good thing to 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 get into the the question i had there about you know playing some man-to-man coverage this week i've got a different one this also about man-to-man coverage i tend to get a lot of man-to-man coverages but john cullen asked me from instagram and again you could follow me on instagram at all eyes db camp but john cullen asked me this question today didn't even tell him that i would be taking this question on the indie drills podcast so he can get he can get the answer on the indie drills podcast but he's asking me should the coaching cue for pressing with hands be punching with the outside hand first then inside or vice versa and he's following that up by saying they want to force the wide receiver outside when they are in press and so he wants to know if they take an inside release which hand should we be punching with all right well john to answer that question it depends. First of all, if we're talking about the high school level, uh, and I go through this all the time, sometimes in a high school level, you'll be lined up against a wide receiver that lets you get close enough to be able to touch him right now as soon as he moves. 
as you go against the better wide receivers at the high school level, and certainly when you get to college, it becomes more difficult to be able to do that. Receivers just don't let you line up that close, even the guys that are lined up at X. You know, nowadays these tackles get into these open stances and they are off the line of scrimmage and they allow them to do that. Just one of those things they just let the offense get away with. And then on top of that, the wide receivers get to line up off of the tackles. Uh, The X wide receivers, the guys that are on the line of scrimmage, get to line up off of those tackles in that open stance. And it allows them to be a little bit further off of the line of scrimmage where you're not able to touch them. I say that uh, to say this, that if you are able... uh, John, to have your DBs line up close enough to touch the wide receiver right away. And I'm assuming if you want to force them outside, you're lining up with some kind of an inside shade, whether that's half a man or full man inside. You have no choice pretty much with what hand you want to strike them with if you're going to shoot your hands right now. And that would be with the nearest hand. So that's going to be the outside hand if you have an inside shade on the wide receiver and your press man. If you're shooting in that hand right now on first movement, it has to be that outside hand because that's the nearest hand. You can't wait to shoot with that inside hand uh, if a receiver is coming off the line of scrimmage and you know most likely he's If you have an inside shade, he's going to give you an outside move one way or another. Whether he's going outside or he's trying to come inside, he's likely going to try to take you outside first and come back inside. So you want to shoot with that near hand. What you do after that is what is now at issue. You shoot that near hand, realize that at the time you do that, your hips will be locked. So you will be at an advantage on an outside release if you leave that hand there. So... It really should be a deal where you punch with that hand, bring it back, and be ready to open and go outside if that's what the receiver is doing. If you punch with that near hand, you step and punch with that near hand, which is the outside hand, and he comes back inside, then it's whatever is that nearest hand. If he's if that outside hand, when he's coming back inside, is still the nearest hand, you'd shoot that. Or if you have the ability to shoot both hands at that time and get a really good jam on a guy and and eliminate him or flatten him out down the line of scrimmage, then you go ahead and do that. The problem comes now when you are, you have a receiver that's off the ball, whether that's a Z wide receiver or it's, you know, like I explained earlier, an X wide receiver who knows enough to get himself back enough without violating the rules of being on a line of scrimmage to where your, your corner now is not close enough to touch him right away. Now there's a little bit of an issue. And and what you don't want is your DB predetermining what hand he's going to shoot with when he's not able to shoot that hand right away. There's going to be some space between him and the wide receiver, and the wide receiver is going to work that space. Whether he moves laterally right now to get the DB to move his feet, or he attacks the space right away and then tries to exit quickly left or right, you have to be careful about telling your corners to shoot a specific hand right away at this point it now is going to depend on the positioning of the wide receiver once he reaches your cornerback if he attacks him straight ahead and tries to get head up with him what I advocate for is a two-hand jam when that wide receiver is right in front of you uh, and I use the term within his frame I always try and give press corners the image of them being a door on a house So I'm talking about a frame, and the frame is you as the door. If he's right in front of you, the door, the frame, 
shoot two hands, get yourself a nice jam. Obviously, you don't want to be on your heels, on the balls of your feet, ready to jam with those two hands and then kick slide left or right, depending on which way the receiver is going to exit. And he is going to exit. He's not going to just stay there in front of you with the two hands on you unless you know it's one of these big tight end types that know they don't have any moves and they're just going to try and run you over. And it doesn't happen very often. A normal wide receiver that's hit with a two-hand jam at the line of scrimmage is going to get into his route, whether that's an outside release or an inside release. So once that receipt, once your DB throws the two hands, he's got to be on the balls of his feet, knees bent, ready to push off left or right, depending on which way that the uh, receiver exits after the two-hand jam. If that receiver works himself to the outside of your press corner, um, with that space, as he works the space that you know is in between the both of them, uh, once the ball is snapped, now you've got to have your guy kick slide. If that's the technique you're using, if you're a hard press team, and it sounds like that's what you are, you got to have your guy kick slide. And now he's thinking of shooting that offhand, which would now be the inside hand. He has to shoot that inside hand to guide that guy outside. And, you know, there's more to that technique. I'm just talking the very basics here. But you don't want to kick side, kick slide and force that guy outside wider, get him off his line, and then you're shooting with the off hand, which would be the inside hand. If that receiver is trying to work the inside and get inside of your receiver, uh, get inside of your corner, then, you know, I'm you're going to want to teach your guys to be really aggressive against that inside move. So now that's... That could be a two-hand jam, uh, and again, that could be that nearest hand, which is the outside hand as a guy tries to get inside of him, or if that receiver is able to get to his inside shoulder before he's close enough for your DB to jam, he could punch with that inside hand, but he's going to have to open rather quickly. So punch with that inside hand, get himself open at 45 degrees, and and try to flatten the guy out and then he's using the other hand or he can kick slide to the inside which is what i advocate as a hard press corner um, kick slide to that inside and then you're going to use the nearest hand at that time most likely the off hand since we're trying to use off hand jams on the kick slide uh, that would be the outside hand as the receiver releases inside really wish i could diagram this but i'm on a podcast you guys are just going to have to have an imagination and try to picture what I'm talking about here. But just to keep things simple, if there's space between you and your cornerback who's inside shade and the receiver releases outside, he attacks the space outside, have him kick slide, use the offhand, which is the inside hand. If he's trying to go back down inside, I know you want to use, I know you want to take away that inside. I understand that. What is that issue now is where is his help? Are there is is it like a two man situation where there's a safety on each hash? If that is the case, then he can shoot that near hand and he could be more aggressive against that inside release. If it's a cover one situation where there's only one safety back there and he's in the post, he can't be as aggressive on that inside move. What he's just going to have to do is yes, that receiver might get inside of him. He's going to have to just now squeeze down on that outside hip force him more to the middle of the field and if it is a slant or something like that be ready to play through the hands so i understand that you want to take away the inside i don't have enough information as to where your safeties are playing because that's going to kind of dictate what your cornerbacks will do versus an inside release when you're shaded inside and i you know hope that answers the question 
But um, the, the moral of the story here is if there's space between that wide receiver and corner where he can't touch him right now, you have to be really careful about instructing him to hit with a specific hand right away. It's kind of going to depend on what's available at the time the receiver gets to him. So um, that's the long and short of that story right here. One of the big things I want to talk about, the, the kind of the debate topic here uh, on this Indie Drills podcast is do you do one-on-ones in your practice? I posted something on my 101 DB Tips um, Twitter page. Uh, you know, I've been having some pretty good discussions among DBs there. Uh, not, And I'm not always involved in them. The, these guys go at it themselves there. And if you want to follow that Twitter page, it's DB Tips 101, DB Tips 101. You can follow me there. So I put up a video the other day um, from Carl Scott, former cornerbacks coach at Alabama, and it was him talking at a clinic. And part of um, what he was talking about is how they do two-on-two or three-on-two in their practices. And you know, Carl Scott is not the current cornerback coach, but I'm assuming what he was talking about then is still the way that they do things at Alabama. And he specifically said, we don't do one-on-ones at Alabama. He described it as, quote, a bullshit offensive drill. So basically the feeling um, at Alabama, whether it's Carl Scott, the defense coordinator at the time, not sure who that was at the time, or Nick Saban himself, is that they don't feel they get what they need out of one-on-ones as a as DBs when they engage in that drill and they just feel like they get more out of two on two and three on two. All right, I understand that. There is this notion, and I understand why it might be out there, that everything Alabama does is the right thing, especially on the defensive side of the ball. So if Nick Saban says we don't do one-on-ones, then nobody should do one-on-ones. Nick Saban says our cornerbacks don't backpedal, then nobody's cornerbacks should backpedal. That is the furthest thing from the truth. First of all, you have to do as a defense, as a secondary, as a a defensive coordinator, what works for your team, the scheme you're running, and the players that you have available to you. Here's what I have found out about one-on-ones. First of all, when I went hardcore as a defensive back in college I went and played for a guy you know one of the godfathers of bump and run Willie Brown he was my defensive back coach the first year that I was in college he ended up being the head coach of the team the second year so we did one-on-ones believe you me and that you know continued into my time at the University of Miami where we ran a lot of cover two there especially my first year there we were strictly uh, primarily a cover two team, but we ran one-on-ones. And I'm going to tell you what one-on-ones did for me and why I'm an advocate for one-on-ones. Sure, it is primarily a offensive drill. Uh, some of the routes that may get run in one-on-ones by the wide receivers aren't entirely realistic. They may take a little bit longer than what would actually happen in a game because there's a pass rush and there's just not as much time, etc., etc. Or there may be more moves in the route than what you would normally get in a game situation most of the time. Sometimes, man, your pass rush doesn't get there and that route can seem very, very long in a game. Nevertheless, got a couple of things out of one-on-ones as a player. It set a mentality for me. 
It was the most challenging part of practice. It was a part of practice that I know I most look forward to. A lot of the DBs, especially the corners, looked forward to. And it was a very competitive thing that we did, both at Long Beach State, where I first went, and Miami, where I went after. And you know, let me just say this about Long Beach State. is Yeah, we were not a great program. How, and that had everything to do mostly to do with the trenches offensive line and defensive line we just could not recruit that position however outside at the skill positions wide receivers dbs we were as good as anyone there we were as good as anyone there the two wide receivers that were there the first year i got to long beach state played pro ball um i was one of the corners played there as a freshman there and we had several guys in the secondary that went to the nfl from there so we were good there and it was a battle each and every day and it created this mentality that you have to have as a defensive back and when you develop that mentality and you get into the games and you're lined up in a coverage cover one uh, two man whatever you don't have the fear that I think you would have if you never do one-on-ones at all in practice so it's really about a mentality and sure okay maybe the offense has the upper hand in that drill while we're doing it at practice. But if I'm able to cover a one-on-one in that offensive drill in practice, when I get into the game, I'm good to go. And again, we had really good wide receivers when I was at Long Beach State. And we had damn good wide receivers when I was at the University of Miami. I mean, all those guys went pro. All those guys were big time at the time that I was there, early 90s. So going against them one-on-one with no safety help, And then going into a game, man, I was golden. I had nothing to worry about. There was, you know, literally no competition until maybe we went and played Florida State. And our wide receivers at the three years that I was at Miami were better than anything Florida State put out on the field in those three years. Now, they were close, but I take my guys at the University of Miami over anything Florida State put out in those early years while I was there playing. And one of those, my senior, I had to go up against Marvin Harrison. And I'm telling you, I might have had a different mentality going up against a Marvin Harrison who was very damn, who was damn good at Syracuse if I didn't do any one-on-ones at all. If it was all two-on-twos, three-on-twos, and I'm, yeah, I've got this help or the illusion of help in this drill, I would not have had that mentality. And I fast forward to me being a coach. And I'm down here in South Florida. If there's one thing that DBs and wide receivers do down here in South Florida, it's one-on-ones. They will do one-on-ones underneath an overpass. They will do one-on-ones in any empty field. I guarantee if you drive around on a Saturday down here in South Florida and there's a park, you're probably going to see wide receivers and DBs doing a one-on-one. Consequently, that 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 brings guys out of South Florida, out of this area with a mentality that's very hard to beat. And if you've played defensive back, if you've played corner, if you've coached cornerbacks, if you coach DBs, you know the mentality that you need. There's a certain mental toughness that you've got to have to be out there on that island, especially, man, when you're in high school and college on those hashes and that ball is on the far hash and you're singled up on a guy with a tremendous amount of space. I don't care what coverage you're called. You're going to feel like you're doing one-on-ones in practice. There's an awful lot of space there. And so how do you recreate that mentality? How do you develop that toughness 
It's with one-on-ones in practice. Now, if you're listening to this and you're a team that doesn't really run a bunch of man-to-man coverage, and I know how things get, you've got a limited amount of time to practice, so you really need to focus on the important things. So you're you're a quarters team or you're a cover two team or you know you're primarily a zone team. I get it. I still would say to you though, spend just get one period, one segment of one-on-ones in per week. I know that it can't be a focus because you don't really run that. And maybe you don't have those type of guys. But if those guys in your secondary are going to get recruited at all, they're going to go to camps. They're going to go to rivals camps and 247 camps in the spring. And then they're going to go to these college camps in the summertime. And they're going to do one-on-ones. And it's an evaluation is going to be made there. And if a guy is terrible in one-on-ones at any of those camps, it's going to be very difficult for him to, A, feel good about himself, and B, look good for a potential college that wants to recruit him or maybe one of these reporters that you know may boost a kid up if he does well out there. I know high school coaches have a certain feeling about that. So on that high school level, man, for a kid to go through high school and just never do one-on-ones and then go to and, and think he's going to college or to go to college and then the first time he does one-on-ones is in college, he's going to struggle greatly. You guys that are in college, man, hey, listen, you got to do your own thing. Um, but again, if you're running any kind of man-to-man, the mentality, all right, if you're one of these coaches that are coaching the secondary but you never played in the secondary, and I know that happens in college ball, um, that just happens. And and some of those guys are really, really good coaches. Some of you guys out there are really, really good DB coaches and you never played the position. Um, that's just the way that it is. But I'm just telling you from a I played standpoint and a mentality standpoint, if you're running any kind of man-to-man coverage and you don't, do any type of one-on-ones man it's going to be tough for that guy to get the mentality that he needs two-on-two is not going to really give that to him there's nothing like the spotlight of being one-on-one with a guy and it's you versus him and two-on-two man they might throw the ball to the other wide receiver not the guy I'm covering I might get beat off the line of scrimmage and the quarterback doesn't make the greatest read and he throws the ball to someone else and I get to get away with it uh, and that certainly would be the case in half line seven on seven or full on skelly. I might, I might be, I might have the craziest technique out there and be a total mess. And I get away with it because quarterback didn't see it. He's looking somewhere else. That doesn't happen in one on ones. One on ones is my technique must be on point. I better be on this wide receiver's hip because the ball is coming to him. Come hella high water. This is the guy. It's just me and him. And so I can't imagine being a defensive back that plays any kind of man-to-man coverage at any level, pro, college, high school, if I never engage in that activity, uh, one-on-ones at all in practice. So just something for you coaches out there to think about. Maybe you don't do it every practice. Maybe you just do it once a week, but you got to expose your kids to it. Uh, you got to expose your players to it. If for nothing else, just the mentality. And literally every drill that's run in a practice favors one side or the other. I mean, inside run favors the defense. I mean, it's great for you to be a linebacker, an inside linebacker, and have no fear of a pass or play action pass or a wide run. Yeah, I'm going to come downhill. It's not entirely realistic because that's just not how it's going to be in the game unless you're facing a veer offense or some kind of wing tee or, you know, Paul Johnson's Georgia Tech wishbone. 
Otherwise, man, it's not a realistic drill. So, you know, I understand. I know what I've coached this game. I understand time can get away from you. But just a little plea from me to you, DB coaches out there, uh, and I'm doing this for the sake of your players, expose those guys to one-on-ones at some point. Once a week, (laughs) twice a month, do it more in the spring, something. You got to have those guys mentally ready to line up in a man-to-man situation in the game and not have their mental their their mental situation go completely crazy there. It's it's a tough place to live. All right. So that's that. Um I do ask the question and you guys can answer this um either by email and at cwilson at all eyesdbcamp.com or um you can respond to anything that I posted on Twitter uh that is a promo for the show. You can go ahead and answer there. I would love to hear from you guys. And also, I think if you're listening to this on uh, Anchor, which is now Podcasters, I think there's the ability to uh, leave a video, an, an audio message or something of that nature. But I'd love to hear from you guys. Do you do one-on-ones in practice? And you can expound on that and let me know why or why not uh, you don't do the one-on-ones in practice. So, um I think that's an interesting topic. And listen, a lot of people gave their opinion on what Carl Scott had to say about the one-on-ones. And again, Alabama has certainly earned the right to have, uh, they win a national championship every 1.5, 2.5 years. Nick Saban is the, the best to ever do it in this game. I have no qualms with saying that. So, you know, I understand people thinking that everything that they say and do there is right. Uh, that's not the case. And it's not always right for your program, especially when you got younger players at your high school. What they're doing in a college program, a Power 5 program, doesn't necessarily mean that it's what you should do at a high school level. You are in a developmental stage for these players. So things that maybe Alabama could cut out of their practice, you don't have the luxury of doing that if you really are caring about developing your player and making them a college player. Those guys at Alabama are already college players. These are more advanced players so um, you can't take everything that Alabama does and runs with it all right um, seems like a good moment for me to plug the all eyes DB camp members area if you guys have been over to all eyes dbcamp.com and you enjoy the blog articles that I've got there and I've got a ton of them you want to dig a little deeper into the topics whether it's press man or it's understanding of coverage or a technique or even some workouts uh Definitely do yourself a favor and jump in and join the All Eyes DB Camp members area. Over 200 videos there on all of the topics I just talked about. Coverages explained, uh, techniques, uh, breaking down film, uh, everything that you would need to be an elite player or a damn good coach of defensive backs. So something for you guys to think about. Head over to alleyesdbcamp.com right now and hit the sign up button and become a member of All Eyes DB Camp. All right, I want to jump into the main topic here. It's the last thing we're going with here today. Uh, You know, I answered a question earlier on this podcast, but one of the most common questions that I will get typically from players is, how do I cover a insert route? You know, they always ask me about a specific route. Coach, how do I cover a slant? Or how do I cover a comeback? Or I keep getting beat on the deep ball. How do I cover a deep ball? And, you know... I got to say this to you guys out there. It's covering one specific route is like trying to lose body fat in just one area. We know now, if we didn't know it before, you can't do that. You can't just lose your belly. Um, 
you know, you, you can't spot reduce fat. Okay, so that's not how that works. Unless you know for sure a specific route's coming or you're just going to ridiculously overplay a route, then the answer to covering a slant route, a go route, a curl route, comeback, whatever is bothering you is to improve your fundamentals on covering all routes. Now that I've gotten that out the way, let's just talk about the three in key ingredients to covering routes. Cover your bases on these three things and you're going to put yourself in a solid position to cover any route that's coming your way. I could tell you a way to cover a route and you could go turn around and start running back when the ball is snapped if you're trying to cover a fade. However, it you'll undoubtedly begin to suck at covering every other route if you do that. You know, if you just turn around and, hey, you know, I can tell you the way to cover a fade is as soon as the ball snaps, just turn around and run back. You're going to be terrible against the hitch and the slant and anything that's underneath that in the route tree. You'll cover that nine route, but I'll be damned if eight, seven, all the way, everything all the way down on that route tree is going to be a problem for you. So you'll be on the bench if you do that. Unless, of course, it's third and 35. The first thing you got to pay attention to when you're playing coverage is your alignment. I could argue that this is the most important thing, but unfortunately, it's one thing that guys really take for granted. They just, you know, young DBs will just line up anywhere. I can't tell you how often I see guys line up at five or six yards when they're in man coverage, which is, you know, for the experienced guys out there, that's no man's land. I see them lined up head up sometimes when they should have outside leverage or inside leverage. If you align wrong, you're going to be singing a sad song. That rhymed right there, didn't it? Know what your leverage is, man. Line up at the proper depth and know where your help is located. If you don't know what those things are supposed to be, then you better find out quickly. Ask a friend, get in your playbook, learn and know where your help is so that you can have and line up with the proper leverage. That's number one, alignment. Second is you want to have your eyes in the right place. So when you tell me, coach, I keep getting beaten inside on a slant when I'm impressed. Well, rest assured, your eyes are probably in the wrong place when the ball gets snapped. You're either looking at the receiver's head or shoulders. That's a typical problem and why guys get beat on a slant. This gives you a late read on his movement and then it allows him to take your leverage away from you. If you're an outside leverage and you're supposed to have help inside, then a slant is not the worst thing in the world that can happen to you. I mean, even in man-to-man coverage, there's some routes that you have to be willing to give up and some others that are an absolute no-no. So, for instance, giving up a slant when you're in two-man, absolute sin. Giving up that same route in cover one is not as frowned upon. Sure, like to get that dug out, knocked away, whatever. But in cover one, it's a little different than cover than two man. So first of all, know your coverage, know what you're you'd be willing to give up. It's going to help you against the routes you're not supposed to give up. Knowing what you can give up in a coverage really helps you on the routes you're not supposed to give up. But if you're lined up thinking, I gotta take away everything, then you're liable to get beat by anything. And that's not what your defensive coordinator wants. It's not what your DB coach wants when he's calling the coverage. Every smart defensive coordinator and DB coach knows that no matter what coverage is called, there are some routes in there we are willing to give up. And so it's just kind of a play to percentages kind of thing. So you as the player have to know what routes 
I can kind of not be as strong on in the particular coverage that I'm in. And finally, you want to make proper use of angles. The truth of the matter is that you win with angles in man coverage. Being able to cut off routes and get to the upfield upfield shoulder or, you know, merge into hips when the ball arrives is all a function of a guy taking the right angles. Now, that's the case whether you're playing off man or press man. So if you're taking the proper angles to cut routes off or to be at the hip when the ball arrives, you know, that should be your aim at all times. Always be aware of the angles you're taking. Don't chase jams and press when the receiver is gone already. That's a good way to end up in chase mode and get stacked. Don't break underneath routes and off man when you should be breaking for the upfield shoulder. You have to get an understanding of angles and apply them. Watch how you are solid against everything in the route tree and even the crazy routes when you start doing that. Angles, angles, angles. I preach that over and over and over. Uh, And once you understand angles, man, you get rid of some of the other mistakes. You make the proper moves at the line of scrimmage. We don't just open the gate at the line of scrimmage and let guys run around. It's funny to me how the mentality works. You're worried about fades and go balls. And so to avoid that in your mind, you think the thing is to open up right away and get ready to run. Well, that makes it a lot easier for that go ball and fade ball to get completed when you open the gate and you let a guy just run into your yard, run into your house and take whatever he wants. Even if you're able to sprint with him stride for stride, you leave so much room to the outside for a quarterback to drop a ball in on a fade to that opposite shoulder where you just absolutely can't reach that you're going to realize your worst fears. So take the proper angles, both at the line of scrimmage and then as you run down the field, and you will find yourself able to cover all those routes that you want to message Coach Chad about and say that it's giving you a problem, whether it's the slant or the comeback or it's the fade ball. Those are like the three big ones right there. It's it's either the go ball, everyone's afraid of that, or it's the slant where you get shook at the line of scrimmage and a guy gets inside of you can be frustrating or it's the comeback where you're busting your hump swearing that it's a go ball and a guy breaks it down and comes back down 15 and catches the ball this is super frustrating when i say comeback you know add stop route to that too for you guys that are further along in ball you see stop routes uh, at the really good high schools and at the college and nfl level but you know Outside of that, it's comeback. Those can be very frustrating. And those are the three main culprits. Those are the three ones that I get asked about the most. If you start doing those three things, first of all, get your alignment right. Make it difficult for guys to run those routes that they want to run. Um, if you have your eyes in the right place, a, a DB in press coverage with really good discipline with his eyes is a very hard to beat. Extremely hard to beat. There's an order of importance in press man coverage and it starts with your eyes and then it goes to your feet and then it goes to your hands. And if a guy has really good eyes, he's hard to beat. And then that final thing is taking the proper angles. Really watch yourself on film and watch the angles that you take as you're covering routes. A lot of times guys are in the wrong spot. Like I said, they'll chase jams. They'll end up underneath the wide receiver as he goes on the deep ball. Or they try to undercut a route or a slant and end up way behind and they get beat on those. You know, they take the the wrong angle on a comeback route. 
A lot of times that's what it is. So you got to take the proper angles. You guys do those three things. I hope you wrote those down. First is line up right. Second is have good eye discipline. Is three, take proper angles. You can cover all those routes. Be relatively good. You're not going to stop every route out there. But you'll be a whole lot better than what you are right now. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed this second edition of the Indie Drills podcast. Um, I think this is going to be a fun thing for us to do here. Again, if you have questions, maybe there's a question you want me to discuss on next week's show, feel free to email me, cwilson at alleyesdbcamp.com. We'll be more than happy to sift through those questions and pick a really good one for all of us to discuss. And if I don't read your question on the next Indie Drills podcast, you know, I'm going to try and get to that question and respond to it anyway, you know, by email or, you know, you send me a DM again. You can follow me on all my social networks at all eyes DB camp on Instagram. It's DB tips 101 on Twitter. And you guys can also follow me on TikTok as well. 101 DB tips on TikTok. All right. Appreciate you guys stepping in. Before you guys leave, though, make sure you go ahead and subscribe to this podcast so that you guys are notified every time I put one of these out. Uh, whether you're on Apple Podcasts or you're on Anchor or you're on Spotify or Google, um, we're everywhere with this podcast, this Indie Drills podcast. Feel free, go ahead and subscribe. And then finally, one more last time, get that ebook, 101 DB Tips. It's a great investment, a great reference guide, something for you to use as you train this off season, and definitely something you can refer to once you get into your season and things start going on. All right. Definitely a good thing for you guys to have. All right. I'm signing out of here until next week. Indie Drills podcast. Thank you guys for listening.